Amen. Hey, a couple of things I want to let you know. Uh, what we have here is, uh, this is uh, what's happening in, in this uh, time is this. We are in the book of Hebrews. So a couple of things you need to know. You can grab a Hebrews uh, study guide. They're back here. No, I'm sorry. This is the journal. I'm sorry. The Hebrews journal. They're in the back here. That way you can kind of write as you go. This week, the Hebrews week three is already back there. If you just want the paper form, you're not going on to the top of our website or you're not using the app, you can just grab one of these. They're back at the table as well. If you want to be on the app and you want to know how to do so, we have a step-by-step that tells you how to do that. Make sure you're very aware of that. And we want you to know that the best thing you can do is this. If you today go on to version and you ask uh, Cedar's Church to be your friend, as soon as you ask, we'll accept. We're not leaving anybody out, right? Well, maybe Laura would, but I'm not leaving anybody out. And so if you'll do that, then what'll happen is we'll accept that friendship and we will invite you to next week's study. It's all done. It's there. Then you can get going with everybody. It has been great. We had over about 40 people who were together this last week reading together. And it has been awesome to read each other's responses as God just kind of moves each person as they walk through that. So Again, if easiest way, easiest way, go to the to you version, go to friends, make a friend with Cedars Church, we'll accept you, we'll invite you in. It's easy to do, and it's been great to watch that um, uh, and see that happen. All right, here we go. By the way, if you have you version already, then you need to know that the slides are already set for today. They're already there. You can go see all the verses. They're already set for this passage. Okay, now. What we're doing is we are basically week three, but really it's just week two of the reading. And what that means is we're doing, we just got done with this series called Entering God's Rest. There you go. There we go. Entering God's Rest. And um, the hard thing for me is it covered three chapters of Hebrews. That's a lot to put into a message, okay? So I'm going to have to skip some passages, but I want you to know you should have already read them this week. And also, um, they're also in the version. You can read them themselves. So I just want you to be aware of that. We're covering three major things today. Moses, rest, and Jesus himself. Moses, rest, and Jesus himself. As I stated last week, if you have either those who were uh, Christians, who by the way had come from the Jewish faith, and the author is writing about these things. One of the things he did last week was said that Jesus was greater than the angels. That's what we looked at this week. Next thing is he is taking on, the writer of Hebrews is taking on the big dog. There are three big dogs in the Old, his, Old Testament history. Abraham, Moses, and David. Those really are the big ones. Those, and everything else kind of is below that. Abraham, obviously the father of Israel. Moses, the one that leads him out of the promised land. David, the first true king of Israel. And so in this, what's going to happen is, is that the desire of the Hebrew writer who is writing this book is to say, Jesus is greater. Greater than the angels. And as we will see today, it's going to see greater than Moses. So let's get into this. Let's see what God has for us. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. Therefore, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, remember I told you that therefores are very important. 
Why is it therefore, therefore? It's like the equal sign. So I want you to go back to chapter uh, 2.18, and it says this. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, this is speaking of Jesus, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Faithful to him who appointed him. That is to God who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. Moses, by the way, plays a significant role. Literally, it says that Moses was God's friend. Matter of fact, God came to Moses' aid again and again, and it says that they would meet together and then they would talk. And it says that Moses was faithful in all God's house. Now, again, when you bring up Moses to anybody who would be of the Jewish descent, their ears perk up. Again, you are talking about one of the big dogs. Again, maybe in America we have Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, maybe Jefferson, right? But when you start thinking about whoever's on Mount Rushmore, uh, but the idea of it is, is that when you talk about Moses, you are really starting to get into that area of, 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 of you got to be careful. You got to be careful when you deal with Moses. But this is what he's saying. Look, Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. How many of you guys are the weekend warriors, watch all the TV shows about like fix it and flip it? And all, any of you guys, HGTV people, you guys sit there, dream, hope, wish, be sad. Anyway, um, it's amazing when you look at these homes and it's true. You look at these, you're like, who could have thought that up? Who could have built that? Who would have laid it out that way? And that's kind of the heart behind it. Yeah, the house is great, but someone put their time and energy, whether that was the architect, the builder, all of what made that possible. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Yes, tabernacle was put together. Moses was there. He was the servant. He is serving God. And he definitely was the mediator between God and his people. I mean, he would come down and say, listen, this is what God says. And they would talk about it. But it's interesting that again, at the end of the day, Moses was a servant. A faithful servant, but a servant nonetheless in the house of God. Moses was faithful in all God's houses as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is, a fa is faithful over God's house as a son. As a son. So this writer is trying to build this case to say, look, <clears throat> Moses was great. And in our history, man, Moses is there. But he was a servant. But you need to know that Jesus is the son. Jesus is from God. And by the way, as we've already heard, 
That, all that stuff, the tabernacle, all that, Jesus was the architect for those things. Jesus was the one putting those things into place. But as Christ is faithful over God's house, a son, and we are his house, if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. I want to read that last part to you again. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. See, we live in this hope of what's coming, and we hold fast to that hope. And it's difficult. This life is hard. Things come up. It's not easy. But I go, no, this is not what I'm about. Getting everything here is not the goal or the purpose. I have a hope for something greater. I have a hope for the rest that we're going to talk about. I want to show you, it says that we are his house. In 1 Peter 2.5, you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus, as the builder, comes and builds us into his house. We are the ones that get to be put in as living stones into this house. He's the builder. We're the house. Much more glory goes to the builder than to us. And so that's what's being talked about here. In Hebrews 3, 8, it says this. Now, it says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day testing, on the day of testing in the wilderness. So, guys, here's the hard part I have. I have a choice here. We can go back and talk history, which, by the way, I would love to do. I love explaining all the things that happen as the people come through the Red Sea, as they are being fed by manna, as they have God leading them by day and by night, as they have all these things, and they come up to the promised land. I would love to tell you history, but I really want us to focus into our story. Because the Bible is great to be able to go, look, that's history, that's history. But the purpose of history is for us to grow through it. For us to make sure that our history, what we will live and what we will live behind will glorify his name. So it says this, do not harden your hearts. This is you today, today. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the wilderness. They got all the way up to the promised land. They went and sent spies into the land. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Two were good and twelve were, I don't know the song. So anyway, but in this process, these two come back, Joshua and Caleb. They're like, yeah, there are giants in the land, but we have God. Let's go. Now what's crazy is this people had seen, by the way, parting of the Red Sea, had seen manna fall, had seen water come out of a rock, had seen God bring them meat, had seen him in their presence, and they get right up to the point where all they have to do is know that they have a powerful God and step over that border, and they would have found rest. But they get there, and they say, there's giants in the land. It's too much for us. Let's go back to Egypt. Not, let's not go in. Not, let's go someplace else. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery. Let's go back to this brokenness. And so in that, do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion on the day of the testing of the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 
years. For 40 years, you didn't want to believe that I was the God that parted the Red Sea, made it possible, opened up the pathway. You had a moment you could have walked through. You said no, so you get to die in the desert walking around for 40 years. Till that generation passed away, that's what you get to do. And so the writer of Hebrews is speaking to you and I using history to say this. Be careful. You have Jesus Christ who came and gave himself for you, raised from the dead, has established his church, has given you his word, has sent down his Holy Spirit, and you have a moment where you can step into in a place of faith, but you can harden your hearts and miss that moment. Because you're not going to believe that God will really show up when he says he will. That he will not do what he wants you to do what he would ask him to do. And in these moments of unbelief, we watch people who could have just walked into this incredible rest, this incredible promise, say it's too much for me. Even though they have read the evidence, seen, seen what God is like, just like the Israelites did as they came out of Egypt. And that's the heart of what this writer's trying to do. Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Verse 11 says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now it's interesting. This word rest is a, basically a picture of kind of accomplishment, right? Got up yesterday. We're trying to get some things done around the house, right? And you get up and you, you have hopefully rested when you, how many of you guys don't wake up rested? If you don't, I'm sorry, but you wake up rested and then you push, 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 right? And you finally get the last thing done, and then what do you do? <sighs> right? Hopefully on a couch. Maybe you get all the way to the night, and you got your, but there's this place of rest. And saying this, look, they're not going to get that rest. So look what happens. We're going to jump down to, for time. We're going to jump to verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? Those who walked right up to the ledge said no. So we, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So they had this God who was all-powerful showing him this, and yet they believed more that they couldn't accomplish and fight the giants and take on the fortified cities and the walls. It was too much for them. And I just want to challenge you that there are times we sit in this place and our brains go, I can't do it. I can't climb that mountain. I can't get over that wall. I can't do that. And we forget. We forget who has our back. We forget who will fight before us. We forget who will walk with us. We forget that he has more for us than we can ever ask or imagine. And we don't step in. So we see that we were unable to enter. They were able to, unable to enter because of unbelief. Here we go. Verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, remember the therefore is important. They did not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. What is that saying? It's saying this. His rest is right there for every one of us. His rest is right there. But we don't want you to fail to reach it. That you don't see that God has rest for you. 
Verse 2. For good news, gospel, good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Those who listened, Joshua and Caleb. And the group did not unite into their faith to go in and take the land. I don't want you to sit here today and not unite with the faith of those that are in this room that have said yes to Jesus Christ. That have said yes to what he offers. That have said yes to that. And again, it's good news. But it did not benefit them because they did not act in that statement of faith. Verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So let's talk about this rest. This rest has a dual meaning. One meaning is going to be eternity. By the way, I believe my eternity starts when I, listen to me, my eternity starts when I accept him. I'm just doing a little time with my eternity here. Does that make sense? It starts now. But there's another part of that. So I believe that this rest we're talking about is that I will have eternity with him and all of that is significant. But the next part of this rest is this. I don't have to fight anymore. What does that mean? Folks, we have a world that says, man, you got to go. You got you, you to push it every day. Uh, you got to get it all. You got you to grab it all. Uh, you know, you got to be faster than the next guy. And we even take that into sometimes into our belief system. I got to work for God. I got to be busy for him. I got to do all these things. He's got to see me. He's got to recognize that I'm doing all these things. And by the way, that is exhausting. It's exhausting. It is exhausting to try to keep up with the Joneses. It is exhausting to feel like you got to be better than the next person. I mean, literally, it just feels like for many of us, it's the Survivor show. Do you guys remember Survivor when it first came out? I realize it keeps going on. I stopped caring about Survivor like 10 years ago. But anyway, you guys remember the first one? You get voted off the island. Remember that feeling like, oh. And the thing, I think the reason why it touched us all is, oh, I don't want to get voted off the island. I want to be here to the end. And our fear is that if we don't stay busy, if we don't hustle, if we don't maybe play the game right, we'll get voted off the island. And God wants to go, I want to give you peace. I want to give you rest. When you accept me, you don't have to play more games. Listen to me. You've won. You get eternity. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to dance for him. You don't have to perform for him. You've won. And then the perspective changes, which then where I get to do is not trying to achieve, not trying to grasp, not trying to do. What I get to do is enjoy him and be with him. Do I still work? Sure. Now, you've been in the traffic, you're driving to work, and you've dreamed about winning the lottery. Raise your hand. Come on, you've dreamed about it. And some of you say, if I win the lottery, I'll never work a day again, right? And there's some of you that goes, no, I go right back to work. I like work. But you would have a different attitude going back to work, Right? Fire me, I don't care. Right? You'd have that attitude. <laughs> but, but in the process, God goes, no, you've won. 
What do you want to do? What do you want to do for my kingdom? And it's not this thing where we just feel like we got to do. We get to rest. Jump down to verse 8. Now people will say, wait, 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 wait. But they did ultimately 40 years later go into the promised land. Yes, under Joshua. Watch what happens in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later. Them going in through Joshua did not fulfill that rest. It just didn't. And then we find out that actually it was detrimental to them because they came in. And by the way, everything God promised was true. All the flocks, they were doing great. All the crops grew like crazy. And guess what happened? The people turned their back on God. Because if they had everything they need, they didn't need God anymore. Verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from him. His. For whoever enters God's rest has rested from his works. This is exactly what I just got done saying. Watch this. This is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of your, doing, your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. God's not trying to say, show me what you can do. Do backflips back for me. Prove to me that you love me. If you're saying, look, I, I accept you, that's it. And you get to rest from that game. You get to rest from that process. It goes in Romans 5, 1 and 2. I love this. Therefore, since we have, sorry, have been justified by faith, not by works, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, the rest we're talking about here is that when you get to be in, you've accepted he's your child, you're in. You're in. Your inheritance is secure. It's waiting for you. And there is no longer this need. And I know that the Americas, United States, California is going to tell you, you got to go, you got to go, you got to be. Okay, you can play that game. But the reality is your eternity, your rest, begins when you accept him. It begins. And you can walk into that rest. And I'm telling you, it changes perspective. It changes perspective. I want you to imagine that it's bringing your kid to work day. Anyone done bring your kid to work day? Right? So you bring your kid and you show them maybe the machine you work on or cars you work on or the thing you do at your, in your office. But I'm going to tell you right now, when the boss brings his kid, that's a different experience. Because the kid is realizing this is all going to be mine. All mine. And I think there's a different rest in that. God wants you to know that all of his is yours. So, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us strive to enter that place where we don't have to worry about the game 
anymore. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and the discerning of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's interesting to me that this passage is in this section. Why does the writer all of a sudden throw in this very deep concept that the Word of God is living and active? Because the concept is the Word of God is going to find out. It's going to prove what you're really about. It's going to dig in deep. And it's going to try to show you that you're still maybe holding on to things where you feel like you have to achieve or please God by your actions when all you have to do is accept Him. And it's saying that, look, it's going to drive in. It's going to find out your intentions. Because it goes on to say in verse 13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give account. So look, you're not going to hide from him. You're not going to be able to say like, oh, he doesn't see me. He does see you and his word shows you and it digs down and shows what is your intentions. What's your drive? And again, if you keep playing the game of, I got to prove something that God goes, then you don't understand. You're not in that place of rest. You haven't walked in and just said, I'm his child and I have access to all of this. Verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We have a great high priest. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. He's trying to say, look, Jesus came down and walked. He was a high priest that understood. He got it. He understood, had temptations all around him, yet he did not sin. But he gets us. He walked with us. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are the kid that gets to run into the throne room of the king and jump on the king's lap. That's who we are. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, we're at chapter five. You're like, we've just done two chapters? Yes, we have. You did a good job. Hebrews chapter five. For if every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for our sins. Now, by the way, that has been true. The Levite priests, their job was to come on your behalf to be this intercessory between God and men. Okay? Now, what's interesting is we're going to deal with an issue. The Levitical priest line came from Aaron. The Levites were told that they were priests. By the way, they were chosen by God. They didn't choose to be priests. God chose that line to be the line that would be priests. Some of you that know your Bible goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus isn't from the Levitical line. He's from the line of Judah. Thank you. So how does that happen? If Jesus is going to be our high priest, which you just heard about, how does that happen? I'm glad you asked. Here we go. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is, is beset with weakness. So listen, this is talking about a human being. A human being can understand why someone sins because they have also sinned. Are we all together with that? So when he goes before, as a high priest, before God, goes, no, we need this atonement. We need this sacrifice because I need this atonement and I need this sacrifice and we all need this. Okay, now watch. 
Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Makes sense. Verse 4, and no one takes his honor for himself, but only when he, when called by God, just as Aaron was. So look, the priests were called by God, and those were the first one was Aaron. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest. God, Jesus didn't step up and go, all right, I'm calling myself priest. I'm not on the Levitical line. I'm going to call myself a priest, though. It's not what happened. Watch what happens. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son today, and I have begotten you. God calls Jesus to be a priest. Watch this. As he says also in another place, by the way, I love that. Remember, the Hebrew writers, just like you, if you can't remember the scripture, just say, as he said in another place, right? Just quote anything you want. No, I'm just kidding. But as he says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Who's this Melchizedek guy? I'm glad you asked. Verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became a source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. God goes, no, no, no. You're not of the priesthood of Aaron. You're under the priesthood of Melchizedek. Where does that come from? Genesis 14, 18 through 20. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, by the way, I want you to watch this. Salem, Jerusalem. Before Jerusalem would have been a city, it is believed that Melchizedek was a priest from that city. Jerusalem, Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. He was priest of God Most High, which means God set, before there was a priestly system, before the Hebrews, before they had escaped from Egypt, God had set up a priestly system, and this guy Melchizedek was ordained that way. Watch this. And he, and this is, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and Abram gave him a tenth of, Abraham, of everything. Now, so here's what happens. There's this other priestly line that God himself set up before, before the Levites, before all that happened, and this guy Melchizedek was the priest in that. Now, we're going to deal this much more when we get to Hebrews chapter 7, but I want you to read what it says in Hebrews chapter 7, 3. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembled the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So what you have is that God goes, my son Jesus, you are now a priest in that order. And Jesus is our high priest. Now watch, here's where we go. Verse 11. Above this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. 
But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's how this chapter ends. What he's saying is this. We're t- the writer's going, I'm talking about deep things, and you should be able to get this, but chances are you're drinking milk and you're not eating solid food. Now, I could end right there on this downer of us, of him baby, calling us a bunch of babies. But I didn't want to end there. I want to go back to something. Back in chapter 3, a section that I skipped was this. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And I love this. As it is today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Folks, this is just what I'm trying to say. Do not hear that you can have rest, that you can put down all the games, all the trying to make it on your own power and your own ability and your looks and your skills. You can lay all of that down and step into being his child. And I'm asking you not to pull away because of unbelief. Believe that there was Jesus Christ who would come to die for us, to set us free. That Jesus would come to make us pure. That Jesus would come to give us life. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Step towards him. Step towards him. Because in doing so, you can Listen to me. Rest. Stop fighting. And then all of a sudden, how you live tomorrow becomes different. Because it's not about achieving and doing. It's about just being with him and doing what pleases him. That's what Jesus is offering. That's what entering into the promise of God's rest means. So, for those of you that have done week one and week two, we want you to know that again, if you're already a part of the group, we've already invited you to week three. If you want to be invited, just go on to the Uversion app, ask to be friends with Cedars Church, we'll invite you in. But I want you to know this. I want you to know this. God wants you to have rest. He knows you're tired. And he knows that you are spinning Don't wait another day. Don't wait another day. Enter into his rest. And with that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for our moms. Father, for those who are just celebrating, who have new life and are excited and and, and motherhood is ahead of them. But I also pray for those who are hurting because they've lost children. Oh, Father, there's just things that just bring pain when they think of this day. But in all these things, we want to thank you, Father, that you come along and say to us, I want to give you rest. And you want us to not walk right up to the edge of it and then pull back, but you want us to take the step into that truth that your son made it possible for us to enter that rest today today 
And so, Father, if there's anyone here, if there's anyone here who needs to step into that rest, Father, let them choose you and then make that known to the staff so we can journey with them and encourage them. Because, Father, the fact is this world will tell them that they won't rest till they have all this stuff and they have all these titles and they have all these things when the reality is they could experience rest right now. So, Father, be with them as they make those choices. Be with us as we continue to walk in that rest knowing that eternity lays before us. And I thank you for your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.